0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the October 23rd, 2022 session, focusing on Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Sinners and Scumbags. I'm David Cassidy.
1: I'm Nikki Hardiman.
0: I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. What? If you're going to say scumbags,
2: you have to... I know. I was (laughs) just... (laughs) I was so impressed with how you sold it. Yes, I mean, you did. What, right? what a professional. That's great.
1: That's uh, why he gets paid the big bucks.
0: You know, scumbags, that's that's a great word, really. When you it, really it is miss. a
1: good word. I've
0: got to work that into more conversations. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about where you live, but here in Kentucky, it is autumn. We have... We have cool temps and lower humidity, a light breeze. It is, the days are getting shorter and, you know, the leaves are actually starting to turn on some of the trees. So I know I have some favorite fall activities that get made fun of, but I'm wondering, (laughs) they don't have to be ones that are made fun of, but do you have any traditions or just autumn things
3: that you enjoy doing? Well, for most of my life, I have thoroughly enjoyed going to college football games, Um, going on the road, going home games, all that stuff, all the way up until the pandemic. But I've gotten very spoiled since the pandemic, where I kind of like not going Mm -hmm. and just (laughs) watching on TV. (laughs) So but you know, it's still it's SEC football here in Mississippi. And um, we got a big game tomorrow. And it's going to be crazy and wild. I'm going to be watching it on TV. But I think next year, I might start to venture back out for the you know, because it's a it's two a day thing. event.
1: My goodness, <laughs>
3: tailgating, yeah, yeah, man. But it is something, and it is something great.
2: <laughs> I love summer. Summer is my favorite time, but I, I can't articulate it why. But I, I feel good in a sweater. <laughs> you just feel good in a sweater sometimes, you know. Like you yes. can't beat a good sweater. So when it when when the temperatures really you know get to that level that's that's not bad
1: what is there not to love about autumn i know except pumpkin spice lattes No, but-
3: <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> oh, spice wait, anything no, sorry no
1: so i i love that i can um open my windows in my house right now um i love a sweater too daniel i'm here for that, all the way. I love fall fashion um, more than any other fashion. And it's like you finally get to take a deep breath after the heat of summer. Um, and so I just enjoy um, all the energy that kind of comes from that. So I don't know that I have any favorite traditions, <laughs> but I, if you've got a tradition, I'll try it. <laughs>
0: Well, I think uh, if our listeners have been on this podcast for years, they know that I am a fan of anything pumpkin related. It's true. Including pumpkin spice. I have the creamer in my fridge right now. Um, (laughs) But I love everything pumpkin. I I like pumpkin pie. um, And, you know, like butternut squash soups. I love the autumn soups. They're just so good. And, you know, you don't feel good having those in the summer. Plus, they're ripe right now, you know? So yeah, anything pumpkin I'm I'm there for it, but no sweaters. I'm too hot natured. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we are still in Luke and uh, Daniel. Would you help us get started with this one? Sure. So, a few years ago, I
2: went to the annual meeting of our local Baptist association. Who, for those who may be unaware, the Association is a network of local churches who band together around some shared ministry commitments, usually mission outreach to the city in which they're located. Associations, at least the Baptist ones I've been involved with, tend to be centered on an outdated model for partnership, that is, pure geographical boundaries rather than some shared theological or missiological commitments. What's more, the people who attend these meetings tend to like to do things the way they've always done things. Needless to say, the meetings are roughly as exciting as doing your taxes. Anyway, three years ago at this annual meeting, in addition to a discussion on the budget, hearing a report from the nominating committee and other business like that, there was a time of recognition and achievements. There was even an insert to the program listing these recognitions and achievements. We heard which churches added the most members the previous year, which churches had the most baptisms, But the most amount of time was spent naming which churches had made the largest financial contributions to the association. Now, I appreciated hearing our church's generosity recognized, but something about it didn't seem right to me. For one thing, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us to give our offerings in secret. Printing such a list and verbally recognizing large financial contributions blatantly disregards that teaching. Listeners, can you imagine if, at your church, the persons or families who were the top five givers in the previous year had their names printed in the bulletin along with the amounts given? Yeah, if I did that at my church, I'd quickly become their former pastor. It's just not appropriate. We do not give to God to be recognized. The second thing that bothered me is this. And listening to all the recognition and accolades, the not-so-subtle implication is that churches who give more are better or more faithful. And I can give you a hundred examples where that just isn't true. Well, for those of us who like to compare ourselves to others, today's scripture passage is hard to hear. In fact, Luke interprets the story for us before Jesus even tells it. Just in case we're too dense to understand it. Luke writes Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. That's the way Luke opens, but Jesus begins like he's about to tell a bad joke. Two guys go up to the temple to pray, he says. Well, what do we know about these two fellows? One is a publican, meaning he's a tax collector. The other is a Pharisee. Now, I suspect the original hearers of Jesus' story would have known these people very well. They would have quickly concluded that the Pharisee was the hero, the publican was the bad guy. See, the Pharisees worked hard to develop authentic lives of prayer and obedience to God. They studied the scriptures diligently. They were generous with the poor and the needy. They gave 10% of their income to be used in God's work. They fasted to focus on spiritual concerns over physical ones. They were faithful in their worship. Yes, they may have been self righteous from time to time, but so are you and I. The tax collector, however, he would have been considered the scumbag of Jewish culture. You're probably aware that in the Roman Empire, who was in control of that part of the world, they had an ingenious way of collecting the taxes needed to run the empire. Rather than use a Roman official, they would select a local person who was knowledgeable about an area and contract with her or him to collect the taxes within their own region from their own neighbors. These tax collectors, with the weight of the Roman Empire behind them, would often line their own pockets by charging excessive taxes, thereby pocketing the profit. These tax collectors were considered traitors for collaborating with the Romans and for stealing from their own people. So these are the two main characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. They go to the temple to pray, Luke tells us. The Pharisee thanks God that he's a good, upright citizen, not like that tax collector over there. I particularly love the part where, as part of his prayer, the Pharisee proceeds to tell God how he fasts twice a week and regularly gives his tithe, like God doesn't know that or something. But when the tax collector prayed, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's more, when this man prayed, Luke tells us he stood far off from the temple and wouldn't even look up to heaven. Now, before y'all make him into the hero, let's be honest. Can you build a church on tax collectors? I mean, you're trying to have a proper worship service, and they're in the back crying in repentance. And pardon my for being pragmatic. But I, as a pastor, depend on tithes and offerings to feed my family. And I like tears of repentance as much as the next guy. But you can't buy groceries with tears. So, what are we to do with this story? Well, first of all, I don't think it matters whether we think we're more like the Pharisee or the tax collector, because truth be told, we're a good mixture of both. What does matter? is the love with which we worship serve and give st john of the cross said something beautiful and i believe it to be true in the evening of our lives we shall be judged by love alone the tax collector understood that he knows that he doesn't have a leg to stand on before god so he doesn't offer explanation he doesn't offer excuses or any evidence of righteousness, all he can say while the tears stream down his face is, hallelujah, God loves me. Hallelujah, God loves me. That's some background on our text for today.
3: Daniel, thank you very much for that. And thank you for the honest... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? for Just the the, the honesty... With which you bring who we are as ministers, and who you are as a pastor, who I am as a pastor, uh, to this text, because the truth is, the way we do church is designed to need money. Yep, <laughs> it is something that I think a lot of us, all of us, if any of us have any conscience at all, wrestle with. That that our our, our jobs rely on people tithing, and what does that do for the people beyond the church um, and who's in the church and who gets to hear our voices? Uh, you and I both know that we've been in churches, we've seen churches where the people who give the most believe they should have more of a voice. This, this, is, this is hard. This is complicated. This is messy. Thank you for being honest.
1: Expert said, thank you. Thank you for honesty, but also thank you for helping us see the different angles of this parable so that we can really understand how um, complicated it is. The minute that we read the parable and we realize the publican isn't the hero of the story, and we say, thank goodness I'm not like the publican, we have just become the publican. Like it is, it is, this is such a challenging parable at every level. I'm not sure that I've ever heard a satisfactory answer to what the whole thing is getting at. I think it provides lots of good discussion. I've been a part of really good discussions before, um, but I'm not sure if I know what it is Jesus was trying to get at by telling this parable. Do you know what I'm, does that make sense? Yeah,
2: yeah, it does. And I I don't know that I have a satisfactory answer, but I think one of the things that Mm -hmm. that it teaches me is that let's not be so quick to say, you know, well, at least I'm not that. Mm. You know, because number one, I, I just don't know that comparisons really have a, a place in in the sanctuary of worship, you know, comparing ourselves to one another. Mm-hmm. And as I tried to make clear, there are times when I have tried to be faithful in my living and worshiping and giving. There are times that I have become self-righteous in that.
1: Mm.
2: And then there are times when I have zero evidence of righteousness to show. So I, I don't know what I'm saying. Other than one of the things that teaches me is that just leave the condemnation and the judgment at home. Just just it gets us nowhere. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, Daniel, that makes a that makes a lot of sense, and actually, I think it's helpful. I I think that. Um, When I have read this passage before, I get really focused on the characters, right? Because that's a pretty natural thing to do. And Uh that's what we do with a lot of the other parables is we say, oh, God is this person and I'm this person, or maybe I'm that person, you know, and see ourselves in the story. Um, And in this one, perhaps it's a story that challenges our need to compare, I think it is a very natural human thing to compare ourselves to others. But maybe this parable challenges um, that aspect of our humanity um, and and calls us to mind our own business.
3: That is very hard, the comparison thing, um, because our entire American culture seems to be built on Mm-hmm. achieving certain standards and who can and who can't and that's how you deserve are you the deserving poor we can send our money and our our youth around the world to to do things for poor people around the world mm-hmm. but the poor people in our own city well that's just their own fault they're lazy right. they can, we can do this why can't they do this right right and and i think this comparison you know we get the whole comparison thing when people are yelling about forgiving of debts like student loans well 50 years ago i paid off my student loans why do they have to get theirs paid off these young mm-hmm. folks today they think they deserve all this stuff well there's a whole system of difference and all that works but without getting into that there's the comparison mm-hmm. look at me look at what i've been able to do therefore it's available to everyone else and if you're not doing it then that's your fault and here's the guy who thinks he deserve every deserves everything he's getting, the Pharisee, and the guy who knows he doesn't deserve anything. And that's yeah. the, the tax collector, who does do systemically horrible things to people, but he's also mm-hmm. trapped in a system. It's the only way he's he can live, you know? And it's just it's I think we need to talk a little bit more into the broader sense of of how our cultures put us in these roles to play off each other uh, and against each other in our comparisons. Yeah, Bert, I was I was thinking along the same
0: lines that, I guess the way I was phrasing it in my head was that when we read this passage, we see the the ways of the world seeping in, right? And, and as I was hearing us describe congregational life, where, you know, people who give more may feel like they need to have more voice, may have more voice, may carry more clout. Um, it, or it could be other things, people who do more. Mm-hmm. But, it, but the whole comparison thing is where we end up, it feels like um, being in danger of having the world's power structures flow in because the world is extraordinarily good <laughs> at at hierarchy, um, hierarchy often is assumed to be uh, a sign of worth and value, which also can translate into, of course, income, position. And and so, you know, I, I think the alternate question is, does the kingdom of, how does the kingdom of God look if it doesn't have those hierarchical values and rewards and standards? Uh, you know, what what is Jesus suggesting here? <laughs> how in the world do we live together mm. if right. we can't if we can't decide
3: on on these kinds of uh, this if hierarchy, we,
1: if we can't decide who's better
3: than who, yes, yeah, let me, I'll give you an yeah. example. But um, Daniel, you go now, if you got I was
2: I was just going to say, and, and I I don't mean to take us off subject, but the way I read this verse fourteen in particular, if if we want to play the hierarchy game, then God's going to flip it. <laughs> you know, like the last shall yeah, be first, yeah. first shall be last. Blessed are the poor. Yeah. And this, I, I I love this this uh phrasing here. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, or or some translation say will be made humble. I don't know what that means, but I don't want to find out. I don't I don't know, I don't want to learn what it means to be made humble.
1: Yeah. Is that, is that, is that a threat or maybe a promise? You know, it's kind of like, it's it's (laughs) like if,
2: if, if you get your kicks from giving a lot of money and then using that to throw your power around, Mm -hmm. well, fine, but that's not the way it's always going to be.
3: Well, I want to, I want to come in with this example, a personal example uh, between a friend and a, a deacon I once knew because the deacon, the deacon was a wonderful deacon in a church. Um, And the deacon was not wealthy. He was not powerful. He was comfortable middle class, okay? But he grew up in the church, and he loved the church, and he was very committed, and he was a good Baptist who never strayed. Which meant that he, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't seeing prostitutes. He wasn't cheating on his wife. The only time he'd ever had whiskey was a few times as a kid when his parents, his mom back in the woods, gave it to him to help with a cough. Right, but he never. Once he got old enough, he never drank. (laughs) It's good medicine. Right, he never drank. He never smoked. He he raised his kids to be good Baptist Christians, and um played by all the rules and like I said he was a good solid middle class guy clean cut um all that kind of stuff <clears throat> but he was a good guy. Now, so he wasn't a, a a wretched manipulating using his power money and wealth to avoid to manipulate others he wasn't that kind of guy one of my friends and I, I love this guy I love this deacon he was very meaningful to me in my life growing up in the church. A friend of mine I know was a hippie, Uh, and this is when I was growing up. This is in the 70s and early 80s, so it was still the hippies were still not the new generation of hippies, but, you know, had all kinds of reasons to leave home, good reasons to leave home, just abandoned the rules of society, decided he didn't want to play by the rules in advance in society, and followed the Grateful Dead around for a while. Had the tie-dyes, grew his hair out. Mingled with drugs and who knows what else. But the guy would give you the shirt off his back. He didn't have a lot of possessions. If he didn't have a way to get you what you needed, he knew somebody who could help you get what you needed if you needed something. His heart was geared toward everyone else. And unfortunately, he overdosed one night. And I mentioned that in church. And this deacon, whom I respected, His first comment was, well, he got what he deserved.
1: Uh Mm.
3: Because I didn't do that. He didn't have to do that, you see. And I remember thinking over time, coming back to this, for me, I see that deacon whom I respected and who was an honest, trustworthy person, but who worked hard for what he got, took pride in what he got, and I've earned this. And that guy squandered everything. Oh, Look, that's just a few passages back in the Good Samaritan parable, isn't it? This guy squandered everything, and here is the Zach, the tax collector. Here is the my hippie friend, whose heart was in the right place, who always said, "Ah, eh, I don't deserve anything, so I might as well, you know, other people may they've got it worse than I do. Let me help them." And and I always thought of that sort of this. In our in my social context, growing up as the tax collector, I mean, it wasn't exactly the same, but mm-hmm. th- that that sense of pride versus the sense of of humility and selfishness. God, I don't know. I'm screwed up. I'm just doing the best I know how to do. Have mercy on me.
2: Mm-hmm. What what your story causes me to think about, Bert, is is the danger of. There was an author I was reading on this talks about praying with a sideways glance, you know, like, like, glad I'm not like that person, whether it's Pharisee about the sinner or the sinner about the Pharisee. Mm -hmm. Just, just as we don't say, oh, thank, thank goodness. I'm not like that sinner over there. Let's not be so quick to say, thank, thank God. I'm not like that judgmental person over there because the more honest I am with myself, the more I realize I am neither, but I'm also both.
0: Yes. Well, I, I keep being drawn to the, the, the last phrases in, in verse 14, where it says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Which is that flipping upside down that, that we were talking about. The thing is, that evokes another passage of Scripture that is incredibly well known and powerful, and I think relevant for this conversation, and that's Philippians chapter 2. And if we if we listen <laughs> to the parable, and then we start with verse 5 in chapter 2 of Philippians, it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And there Jesus is as the example. May we all focus on the needs of others and not the worth and goodness of ourselves. There's much to do. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.